Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Working Change. This is Nate. And Marla. Thanks for being with us today. A quick disclaimer, Marla is <laughs> getting over something. It was whatever I had a week or two ago. So. Right. So I may randomly cough. I'm okay. I'm not dying. Yes. <laughs> yes. But if you hear a cough, sorry about that. Um, and if you want to get a hold of us for coaching or therapy, please reach out to workingchangecoaching at gmail.com to reach us. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about communication and particularly communication with children. I'm uh, kind of excited. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, so Marla could tell you, I've been really trying to find some things where Marla can shine because um, she's really smart and really experienced in a lot of ways. And sometimes I feel like I talk a lot. And so I wanted to maybe do something where she would be able to talk more. Well, and, and I love listening to you talk. So. Oh, of course. Yeah. She's very nice. Sometimes she doesn't love listening to me. But <laughs> That's true. We have to be real here. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited because this was a book that I found in my studies, my master's program studies uh, last term. We had to read this book called Messages, the communication skills book. And initially I was like, ugh, we're going to what? But um, – I really loved it. Like it was a really easy read. It had a lot of really great stuff. A lot of stuff that I was like, man, if I was like younger and a teenager, I would have loved this book. Like mm -hmm. it had some stuff in there that was like, I, it took me years to understand that. Yeah. Why didn't somebody not sit me down and say, this is how you do it. This is how you communicate. You know, these are like the skills you need to make it work. Yeah. And um, I feel like my undergrad, I did it in communication sciences and disorders. So that's a offshoot. We've talked about first speech therapy and audiology, but we talked a lot about communication, um, what you need for communication and why communication is important. So this book was like kind of coming home to my undergrad studies mm -hmm. and it was great. It's a, uh, again, it's called messages, the communication skills book. It's by Matthew McKay. He's a PhD and Martha Davis, PhD and Patrick Fanning. So if anybody wants to look it up, we can try, maybe try to put a link or something or. I don't know how to do that. I'll try to figure that <laughs> okay. out for this one. We'll but figure not. that out. We're growing here. Yeah. So, so we they have a chapter in there that I thought was really interesting. It was about just communicating with children. Mm -hmm. So I wanted just to go over that chapter. I thought it had some really interesting stuff. And um, so Nate, like, what would you say are like communication skills? Generally, that, yes, that people need. Um, well, I mean, you need to be able to speak in a way that people can understand. Okay. Um, I mean, perhaps being a therapist, perhaps the biggest one, in my opinion, based on my own bias, is listening. Okay. Yeah. Um, because you need to both be able to be heard and understood, and you need also to be able to hear and understand. Right. So, I don't know. To me, those are probably the first things that I think of. And you are absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> So there's a third one that this book added, okay. which would be joint problem solving. So they said that the three things that um, are great for parenting and communication skills are listening, which you mentioned, expressing, and then joint problem solving. So I thought, okay, let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's talk about each one, I think, in a little bit more detail. Because each one of these has like little areas that I think that we can all work on. I read this chapter and I was like, ooh, I need to work on that. Or, yeah. yeah, I could brush up on that a little bit. Or, oh, that's kind of sneaky. I like that. That I can see how that would work. So I have <clears> to <throat> ask a quick question. Yes. I find myself, we have kids. Yeah, lots of uh, them. Yes, between <laughs> us. 
And I find myself sometimes I find it much easier to listen to my clients in mm. session mm -hmm. than I do to listen to my kids. What is going on there? Oh, Why do I have that <laughs> that mental block? That's a good question. Well, you know, I think I, I've been thinking about that too because I know that I have a hard time listening. I, I know that your daughter came to me and she had like a problem the mm -hmm. other day, and it was really hard to listen. Like I just wanted to solve that problem. I think as adults. We try to solve problems. We're like problem solvers. We're like, we've already learned the skill of joint problem solving. We've problem solved our way out of like everything. And when a child comes to us and they have these problems, some of their problems are, we would think kind of tiny and minuscule and just not important. And they're easy. And we're like, this is what you have to do. You okay. know, go do this. So we don't listen. We just want to solve the problem. Like if okay. we solve that problem, they'll go away and everything will be happy and great. So is that... Is that to say, as as human beings that have our own issues and challenges and limitations, including time and focus and everything else, the easiest way for us to deal with a child that has a problem is to just tell them what we think the answer is? Yes, that okay. would be one. I think the other thing is, is like some kids just love to talk. And sometimes they don't make much sense, depending on the age. I mean, if you've ever talked to a toddler, they're kind of all over the place. They're talking about one thing, and then they're on to the next thing. And... They're not, you know, even when they tell stories, they're, they're not really, um, they can't be fun sometimes to listen to. They're, they're just kind of all whimsical and all over the place. That's how their brain thinks at that so, point. So, so it takes trying to, time. Right. They're to trying to talk to, to you and you're trying to cook dinner yes. and you're thinking, I'm going to mess up everybody's dinner or I'm trying to, you know, sweep the garage and I'm thinking I can't listen to you and sweep at the same time. So we're not really Or even then, like, I'm not really like, what are you even talking about? I mean, sometimes I've had kids come to me and they're telling me a story and I'm like, what's the point of this? Like, this is so weird. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? You know? So it can be abstract, I think sometimes. And sometimes it can just be hard to listen. And sometimes we're dealing with our own stuff and we're not great at listening. So being able to disconnect from whatever we're experiencing and connect with what they're talking about, even if it doesn't make any sense, you would say has value or is an important part of, of a relationship. Oh, absolutely. Between parent and child. Yeah. I think that um, some of my older kids have come to me and, and told me like the best memories they have were when I listened to them. Hmm, that's and they, they felt heard. Mm -hmm. So what well, does it mean to feel heard? Okay. And, you know? and I want to, and I want to do an interject this because I thought this is an important point. You know, Tony Overbay, my supervisor says often to be heard is to be healed, which, mm -hmm. you know, that really kind of lends to what you're saying, which is sometimes we just need to feel like somebody else is hearing us. Right. Yeah. You know, I know that our youngest, she's almost two. She like gets hurt sometimes and she'll come over and she'll be like, kind of fake crying, but she'd be like, ah, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, did that like really hurt? Are you kind of sad right now? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And then she's just perfectly fine. It was almost like she just wanted somebody to see that she was hurting. Mm -hmm. You know, she wanted to be heard and she's t not even two. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we all have that need. Okay. Like that's a basic need. I think of most of us, you know, we, if we don't communicate, we, we die. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I heard that in my understudies, like when we are born, we come out kind of communicating, we cry to communicate our needs. And if we're not getting those needs met, we would die. So I don't think that there's much of a difference as adults, like we're communicating to get our needs met. Okay. Children communicate to get their needs met also. So listening back to listening, what are some good things to do? You would say 
to be a good listener, to feel like you're being heard or they're being heard? Um, well, you know, you learn in graduate school about active listening, which is the process of hearing what someone says and then using some kind of skill to repeat back to them what you think they said so that they're, you guys are communicating on a level that you both understand one mm-hmm. another. Uh, and I and I like that active listening is is super important. I would say that it can be even as simple as I'm going to go way simple here, making eye contact with your child, okay, like giving them your full attention, not being distracted. Uh, in a era of like phones and cell phones, I sometimes I am guilty of this. I'll be on my phone doing some, and some kid will be talking at me, and I'll be like half listening, you know. And your kids know that. I think that they know that, like, mom's not really listening. She's scrolling through whatever. And is she really hearing me? You know, and as an adult, if I did that to my adult friends, I think they'd be really annoyed. I know that, you know, if I did that to you, you'd be like, what? Hey. Yeah, I'd probably stop talking because I would realize that you're not listening to me. You know, I I wanted to throw something in on this point because I was listening to a couple TED Talks before we did this. And Mm -hmm. one was by a, a woman that specializes in in working with kids on different issues. And I appreciated this point, which I've heard before, but I hadn't heard in a while, which was, you know, especially if your kids are in distress, like get down on their level. Yeah. Like like eye to eye. Yeah. And and that helps them feel like they're really having someone listen to them and being attentive to them. Right. It also diminishes what we would call like a power differential. Okay. Yeah. You know, children don't feel like they're in power. You know, we're big in size mm-hmm. compared to them, or sometimes two or three times bigger than them. You know, we can be scary, I think, being that large. Um, you know, interesting, like, I don't know, get it down on your knees and, and experience the world like from that. Mm-hmm. Everything is super hard at that that size. So just remembering that, you know, yes, getting down, making eye contact with them, not being distracted. You know, one, I read a, something that said, you know, close your mouth when you talk. When, when you're listening to somebody, you know, if your your mouth is gaping open, they're probably like, well, what what's what's mom going to say, you know, or dad going to say, close your mouth, <laughs> just listen, you know, mouth is closed and you're, you know, nodding your head and, and you're engaged with them. And that's, you know, and, and on again, throw something in here that that I've seen in my work, which is um, sometimes we have kids that come in, they're struggling with addiction issues mm-hmm. and one of the worst things we can do, and it's really hard to do as parents, is when our child comes to us and lets us know something that's going on in their life that's really difficult, and our face just shows shock <laughs> and disgust. Right. And it's hard to control or anger, that. Yeah. Right. But you know, ultimately, if we can show openness and we can, you know, and that doesn't mean that we are okay with what they're doing. But, you know, that we want to listen and that we want to be there for them. You know, they're more likely to come to us in the future with with difficult things or, or even worse things. You know, childhood is often about making mistakes. Oh, yeah. And if we have nowhere to go and talk with people about our mistakes, then who are we going to talk with? Maybe our friends? Right. And that your, your peers are probably not the people you want to be <laughs> They have some interesting ideas. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so... Couple other things I think that make for good listening um, is just to keep your conversations brief. You know, it's interesting because I had one son who told me, "Mom, I can't talk for longer than five minutes with you." <laughs> <laughs> and it was really cute because as he got older, he was like, "Okay, I think I can like now do a ten minute conversation with you, Mom." That's you know, funny. and and it's true. I think when they're younger, you have to keep your conversation brief. Otherwise, 
they're going to check out on you. Mm -hmm. And you can tell they're like start wiggling and squirming and looking at other things. So make sure that your conversation is age appropriate in length too is really important. Um, So I think enough of listening there, the expressing part now. Okay. Um, How do you express yourself to to your child? Well, so I know that I've heard, and you might know this better than me, that 90% of communication is nonverbal. So Mm -hmm. we have the words that we say, and then we have the way that our face looks and how our our, you know, our hands are moving and how we're posturing and all of these other things. So there's what we say and there's also how we say it. Right. Definitely. And so I think just like we've said before, just being aware that you're a lot bigger mm-hmm. most of the times than your children are. And um, you hold a lot of power, you know, you make their world go around, you know, you're supplying them with all their needs. And so, you know, they're, they're scared. They're, they're scared to like, admit certain things that, you know, maybe I'm not going to get this or I'm not going to be able to do this or, you know, what's it going to look like if I upset them or let them down or things like that. So Mm -hmm. just being aware of that. Um, In the book, they gave like five principles for expressing yourself. And I thought that they were really good. The first one was specificity. Okay. Kind of a fancy word um, for just saying that like, you need to be really specific when you talk with children. Children like boundaries. They like rules. They like to know like A equals B and, and, and so forth. You know, if I do this, I get this. They're not abstract thinkers. And so everything is kind of concrete. I, I need to know that like, if I do this, this happens. So um, being very clear with them in how you structure things is, is super important. We experienced that here. Um, we, we have chores and we know what the expectation is, but we've noticed that the jobs don't always get done to what our expectation is. So we've had to actually make like type out on a piece of paper, what the job entails and then stick it up on the wall so they can look at it and be like, okay, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do that? Do that? Do that? And then that way we're all on the same page. Yeah. Kids are really creative. Like if you tell them, go clean that, you're going to come up with some really interesting ways of what clean looks like. So be very specific of clean looks like, you know, this is put away. This is folded, you know, is, is what they prefer. It's, it's easier. It makes it easier in the long run. The second step would be immediacy. Um, Is it the step or principle? Principle. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. I wasn't sure. (laughs) That's good. Just ask for clarification. (laughs) That's Okay. (laughs) I like steps. I like principles. Um, the second principle would be immediacy. So make sure that what you're doing is relevant to in a time frame that you're doing it. You, you harboring a, like a, a feeling or a consequence for like a week or even after a couple hours isn't good. So if your child does something, try to at that moment talk to them about that. I'm really bad about that. I know that I have a tendency to put things off. So if somebody does something, I don't always confront them right then. And then the next day, either I'll forget about it or the next day or a couple of days or whatever. And then by the time I remember about it, I don't really want to deal with it anymore. Right. There's other things to deal with. So that just never even got dealt with. Right. Well, it's the same thing. Like this doesn't always have to be like a consequence kind of thing. It can be a like... Um, a praise or a yeah. reward thing. Like, so if you see your child doing something that you like, 
you know, encourage it in the, in that moment to say it like a week later isn't going to have the same kind of impact as if they're doing it in that moment yeah. and, and you say it. So just being immediate with it. You know, I, I think one of the things that when I read it came across my mind was, is if it bothers you, don't sit on it for weeks and then let it become this huge thing mm-hmm. that you're now like, I'm so annoyed because I've seen you do this like 20 times. Well, maybe you should have stopped him and said the first time, this really isn't what I, you know, this is annoying me or this isn't how we do this. Can I teach you a different way? Or, or whatever, because the 20th time is going to make you super frustrated. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if we deal with things early on, they don't become these big things to overcome. Gotcha. So third principle, non-judgment. This can be a little tricky. Yes. <laughs> I think, yes. <laughs> I think that I, I know that I sometimes forget that my kids um, are can be whimsical. And they got great imaginations. And sometimes when they do things, you're like, why did you do that? You know, you're like, what? What were you thinking? I think comes out of people's mouths a lot when they have children. Um, and that's hard. You know, I mean, when a child hears that, they don't hear, oh, I'm being loved and I'm capable. You know, they're they're thinking other things. So the, the non-judgment piece is important. Yeah. Well, I think that that ties in really well with the... You know, when kids come to you with difficult things, you know, don't have this like just total look of disappointment and disgust all over your face uh, because we're, we're communicating something to them. You know, we're communicating, if you tell me this, I'm going to give you negative feedback. Right. So if we can take the judgment out of it and we can do that, I think sometimes we have this fear that, that kids will think that something is, is okay when, when we feel like it's not okay. Absolutely. If we don't like tell them how wrong it is or how bad it is and show them with our, with our body and our face, you know, how upset we are over it. Um, we can tell them and communicate all of that without giving them a whole bunch of emotional yuckiness, you know, which, you know, I don't know. I remember being very emotional as a kid. So Mm -hmm. everything felt, I was like a raw nerve half the time. Everything felt a little (laughs) bit rough. So kids need a lot of positive. Yeah, they do. They definitely do. Um, it's interesting too that like if you have multiple children, how you handle one child is noticed by the other children. So if you, you know, I had a situation where one of my children did something and it was a pretty big deal. And I was like, Ooh, that's, and I handled it completely wrong. Oh, I really? uh, watched it came unglued and said things I shouldn't have said. And, um, after I did that, I, I apologized. I was like, this is not how I should have behaved. Mm-hmm. And I was completely wrong with that. Um, and we worked it out and patched it up and moved forward, found a great solution for it and moved forward. But um, a couple of years later, I had another child come to me with kind of a similar situation. And I remember thinking, okay, the first thing, I'm not going to handle it this way. Like if I messed that up the first time, but it was interesting because I talked to this child and they said, you know, mom, if you had not handled it the way you handled it, like it was scary. Like initially, like I saw that and I was like, Ooh, I don't want to like experience that. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell mom that, you know, anymore. Um, but the, the fact that I apologized for it and we worked it out, I think. And then I had since then, communicated with all my children. Like, I don't want to do that. Like if you have something really hard to tell me, I would rather hear it than you guys keep it from me. Yeah. You know, I have to work on my own feeling and my mm-hmm. own reaction there, but 
please come to me, you know, so that we can work out this problem. I don't want you having a problem and trying to solve it and having a situation. So my judgment was preventing my children from using me as a tool Mm -hmm. to get help further. Yeah. And I really like the, the modeling there too. You know, you went to your kids and you apologized, you know, we, our kids fight and you want them to learn to be able to apologize to each other. And a lot of time that starts with the adult being able to approach the child and recognize when they did something wrong and apologize for it and show that they're, you know, they want to try to improve. Um, if we're not willing to do something and we're asking our child to do that, I mean, they're aware that we're not doing it. Yeah, definitely. I, I think in most cases, kids are going to be less likely to do something if they don't see us doing it. Definitely. So the fourth principle is consistency. They just say, just be consistent. Mm-hmm. If you're consistent with your praise, consistent with your consequences, either good or bad. Um, so second one is being immediate and then just being consistent. Okay. You know, it's hard. Children need that black, that they're kind of black and white. They need to know like A leads to B. So if they know that sometimes A leads to C, they're going to be like, Ooh, I'm going to start testing all this out, you know? So just be consistent. We'll, we'll help out. Okay. Um, the fifth and final one was disclosure. And I think we kind of touched on that a little bit, like letting your children know you're human. I made a mistake. I'm scared. Like when you don't come home on time, I'm scared that like something is wrong with you and my brain goes everywhere. You know, I love you and I'm scared for you. This, this hurts me. Um, Letting them know that you're not like some robot or, 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 you know, high and mighty judge, I think it is important. They need to know that you're human. Yeah. And that you have human emotion Mm -hmm. too. Um, The last and third, like critical communication skills. So we did listening, we did expressing Mm -hmm. is joint problem solving. Okay. Um, It was really interesting in this book because they, they talked about, you know, a very specific pattern for problem solving. And I really like liked it. I thought that it was good because our, our children are, are learning. We, we need to remember that we're all learning, really. We're all growing. None of us know how to do it completely right. Um, so kids are coming into this world and they're testing everything and they're trying to figure it out. So they're, they're, you know, teaching them how to problem solve, I think is a great gift we can give our kids. How do I solve this? How do I get out of this problem? How do I smooth this over? So this is a skill I think that that is, that we need to teach more for our children, you know, that we need to um, have them be able to come to us and then say, okay, we've got a problem now. Let's try to figure this out. So what they said is, you know, having like a family meeting and then just saying, you know, this is our problem. Let's take all the ideas. Who here has an idea of how to solve this problem? And then you would make a list of all the problems. And it was really funny. They said, don't discard any problems at this point. Like, Stay quiet. Like your kids are going to problems or the potential solutions, potential solutions. So like if your kids come to you and they're like, we want to like take a bus to Mars to like not do chores. You're like, Oh, good idea. Okay. We'll write that down. We'll see if that works. So everything goes on this list. Okay. So like even the ridiculous, even the things you can't do, everything goes on the list. And then at the next step, you, you would look at the list and you would say, okay, we're going to look at this list. We're going to throw out anything too expensive, something that doesn't like isn't feasible, won't work or whatever. And then you cut ideas and then you come up with the best idea that everybody will like. And it doesn't mean that you like it as a parent. You might come up with something that all your kids are like, okay, we can do this. 
and you're like, this is going to be a mess, a hot mess, and I'm not doing it, you still do it because you want them to go through that process of doing it because the, the next step is to review how that's going. Mm-hmm. You know, how did that work for us? Did we do okay? Do you want to like adjust it? Because you're always continually problem solving there. Yeah. So um, I know that when I've done that with my kids, it works better. Like chores, like kill me now. Problem, always a problem. Yeah. Kids are always trying to get up chores. Mm-hmm. But if you come to them and you take this, you know, we've got a problem here. The chores aren't getting done. This is what I would like, you know, what would you guys like to do? How would you like to run chores? How would you like to, you know, what kind of, you know, positive consequences do you want? What kind of negative consequences do you want? How do you want to run this? Yeah. And then have them build it. They're more likely to do it. And, you know, there's another interesting parallel with therapy on this too, which is uh, we see in therapy when people find the solutions to their own problems, they're more likely to follow through with it and they're more likely to uh, be accepting of the results. Sometimes the solutions yield bad results Mm -hmm. um, and you can see where people – uh, they sit with a therapist and the therapist throws something out there and then they go try it and it fails miserably and then they're mad at the therapist. Yeah. So you can imagine a child who's like, well, dad told me to go do this and I went and did it and now it's worse. So dad's an idiot and I'm never listening to him again. And, you know. I've had that worse. conversation <laughs> right, with right. my kids. They're like, mom, you messed me up. You know, like I had it all my own way and mm. I was going to do it and you told me to do this and now I'm like, ugh. And I'm like, ooh. You know, yes, yeah, sometimes letting them solve their own problem and get that negative experience or that positive experience is the best thing for you. Right. So they might have a negative experience, but it's back to the drawing board. So you can mm-hmm. show them even if they have a negative experience, it's still solvable. They just have to try something else. On the other hand, if they have a positive experience, then it, it helps them develop skills as far as problem solving is concerned, but also develop confidence in their ability right. to solve problems. It'll build resilience yeah. in, in your like child. That. You know, like they that. will they will learn that like it doesn't have to be the right solution every time. Like I can do that and and I could tweak it and I can keep going and I can try and try again. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I hit a home run and the first solution I have works brilliant and I'm amazing and I love it. And other times I have to keep at it. Yeah. The hundredth thing I try works for me. And I think that that's a really good lesson to learn as a human being, you mm-hmm. know, as an adult, no, I really wish that everything I tried the first time was brilliant. I mean, we, we record this podcast sometimes three, four times. So right. <laughs> we're not ever getting it the first time, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's okay. And teaching our children that, that that's okay, I think is important. Too. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So learning to listen, you know, really listen to your kids. Take the time, disconnect and, and connect into them and listen to what they have to say is important. Yes express to them the things that they need. And what are the five principles of expressing again? Specificity, immediacy, non-judgment, consistency, and disclosure. Okay. And then the last part is just joint problem solving. Okay. You know, and these things work. I've seen them work. I When I'm doing them, they work better. When I don't do them, there's a lot more messes yeah. with kids. So, and, and with adults too. These things work with adults also. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like a lot of these skills adults can use with other adults. Definitely. So I like that. I like that. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you very much for putting this together for us. Uh, Marla's been a trooper because she's got finals coming up, but... 
I always have finals coming up. <laughs> I know, it like, finals again in a few weeks. <laughs> I'm like, ah, this is, this is great. But, it, you know, the nice thing about the program is, is it brings up some really interesting topics. So I have got some topics that I'm excited about in the future. Awesome. So, awesome. Coming next. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. And we will see you next time on Working Change. <laughs>